You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. How you doing? You all good? Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. It was kind of cheesy, but it was good. I appreciate it. Appreciate that introduction. Um, it's an honor, really, to be able to to, to speak. I, I just love doing this. Um, I have that ministry background. I won't go into details of that. But it's an honor to be in the presence of God and the presence of you folks. And um, it's interesting how God helps us to worship him and puts us in the right spirit, the right heart, and those kind of things. The song that was sung just before uh, me coming up, Good, Good Father, was a song I was hoping that would be sung. I didn't tell anybody about it, didn't tell the band about it, but guess what? God provided it, that song. That's exactly the song that I was thinking of to go along with the message this morning. So let's just give God the glory and the praise for how he works in so many ways, and we hear the stories, and we know of all the ways he does his thing in our lives for his glory, but he's giving us great blessings along with it. Let's pray together. Father God, we are truly amazed at how you work. Father God, we give you glory and praise for how you have done so many things, but not only that, but because of who you are. You are that good, great, wonderful Father. Even God, if we have not received anything You are still the great and awesome God who you are, who loves us and cares about us. And we are so thankful to you. Father God, I personally am thankful for the opportunity to come here and and share some words that I hope are words that you want to be said. And I pray, God, that you be with me in that and that you be with all of us as we are listening and hearing, and not just hearing and listening, but also having these words have an impact in our, in our lives and, and transform us to be as we are to be in your will. God, you're awesome. We give you praise and glory, and we look forward to you continuing to work. And Father, I want today to lift up Phil to you. We know he has not been with us for a while. He continues to go through his challenges with his health. And Father God, I pray that we continue to be mindful of him. And God, we ask on his behalf that there will be healing, that there will be things worked out. And we look forward to to him being with us. And we just want to give it all to you, God, in praise and glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, today's Father's Day. I want to wish everyone happy Father's Day. Uh, some of you may not have any children yet. In fact, I talked with Drew this morning. I said, Drew, you have any kids? He said, no, I have some, some dogs. And so uh, if you have a dog, no children, you, that's okay too. We, we call our, our little dog, uh, we refer to him kind of in a, in a way that he's our child, so to speak. But this whole idea of being a father is a big thing. It's a big deal. It's a big responsibility. I'm going to talk about Ephesians a little bit, but I'm going to jump off of that and go to somewhere else as we talk about God being our Father. Now, I want to share a little little saying that I heard. Maybe it's something that you've experienced. 
There's a little boy who was in his bedroom, and there was a thunderstorm outside. And you know how it is sometimes with kids when the thunderstorm, the lightning thunder, they get, they get a little afraid. And so this little boy went into his parents' room and got to his dad and said, Dad, I, I, I'm afraid the, the, the thunderstorm, and, and I'm, I'm afraid something's going to happen. And the father said, well, I've told you so many times, God will be with you. God will, will look out for you. And he says, yeah, I know, but I need someone with skin on him. <laughs> and sometimes that is the way it is. God allows us, those of us who are men and are fathers, he works through us. He uses us to be that good father to our children and to those other individuals in our lives that may not be our actual physical children, but others who can be there to help young children along the way. And so I want to begin looking at the verse of scripture that is in Ephesians, but like I said, I want to go on from there to another part of scripture that focuses on God more so being our father. But let's look at the verse. And of course, today's message is called Abba, Father, and you'll understand that a little bit later. But let's look at the verse in Ephesians that I want to focus on. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Uh, with promise, that it may be well with you and may live long on the earth. And then verse 4, this is the challenge for us as fathers. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now the first part of this verse is directed towards the children. Yes, obey. And we've heard a little bit about that through this series. But then we jump to this verse in verse 4 where the challenge is to us, dads. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't agitate them. Don't get them stirred up. And, and I know from experience, sometimes that's hard. I've had my times with my kids where I've gotten frustrated, where I've gotten angry, where I've gotten really, really mean towards them afterwards feeling very bad, but I would say I probably disobeyed this. In fact, I sure, surely I did in agitating them and getting them all stirred up. And so we're taught through this scripture that we are to be careful how we deal with our children or those who we even have authority over, so to speak, and doing it in a, a kind, hopefully patient, loving way. Yes, we'll have those those setbacks from time to time, but as we grow and as we mature in our faith, and as we learn more and more from God's word, we will be those fathers, we will be those people who treat our children with much greater grace, patience, and love. I want to stop a minute and want you to think. You don't have to answer this question out loud, but I want you to think a little bit. What's your relationship with, what's like with your father? What kind of father have you had? What kind of father have you experienced? You see, you know, when the scripture talks about God being like the father, 
to some, that's maybe not quite that comforting or that positive to them. And the reason being is because some people are raised with fathers who are not very good fathers at all in various ways, whether they're mean, whether they're not there, whether they're not caring for them. And some of us have had abusive fathers. Some you may know who have had abusive fathers. So that term father doesn't just quite do it, and, and some just don't understand it very well. I personally was raised without a father because my father died in a motorcycle accident several months before I was born. So I never knew my real physical father. But God did place other people in my lives who were that father type of figure. And those people were there to help me to grow and mature. My grandfather, some other people in my life were there to help with that responsibility. And that may be what you're called upon to do, not only with your own children, with someone else, or if you don't have children, you might be a father to someone. But the key point is, is what kind of fathers are we? And what kind of fathers have we had? And the challenge set before us is, are we the father that God wants us to be? And the best kind of father that we can be is like God the Father as much as that is possible. Now, I want to get into looking more to this whole idea of God being our father, that example of what fatherhood is really all about. And I want to begin with a simple verse that we're all familiar with in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and verse 2, this is where Jesus' disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It, it, it was in a situation where he was praying and, and they were wondering about this a little bit. And so they said, teach us to pray. And he starts the prayer off with these words in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most of us know these words, don't we? It's the our Father, the, the Lord's prayer, if you will. It's probably more a, an example prayer. But when he said, our father, that was a huge, significant thing. Because up until this time, people viewed God as being the father, but a father of the chosen one. And God was seen, was so elevated and so high up, this idea of referring to him as father of all of us was really strange and in fact, some way sacrilegious. Because they had that idea of God being so high up, it was almost unapproachable. You've heard the term Yahweh. It's that word, that Hebrew word that, that, that really doesn't have any vowels in it. It's that Y-H-W-H. It was that sacred way. In fact, it said when the scribes wrote the name of God when they were rewriting the scriptures that they would write one letter, the scribes, go wash their hands, write another letter, wash their hands, write the other, and so on. Because they thought that was so pure and it was so high up, it was so elevated that they saw God being the father of creation and the great, awesome, wonderful person, but, or being, but they, they saw him at a great distance. But Jesus was now bringing God down by just using this word father in reference to God. 
And it was a way of helping his followers to see this special relationship beginning to be more understood that God really wants to have with us. He doesn't want to see him as a God that's far, far away, but one who's close and loving and caring and very much interested in our lives and having that intimacy. Now, this word Abba you see in Scripture at least three times. This is a little different. You probably, you may have heard of this. It's the Aramaic term for father, and it carries with it this idea of intimacy and obedience, if you will. Let me look at an example of where this is used. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 35 through 36, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will, but what you will. Again, it's kind of like a child saying, help me, help me, Father, help me. And literally, he was caught crying out to his father at a very crucial time in his life when he was in the garden. Many times, I think, where Jesus really won the victory. Yes, he won a big victory on the cross and made it possible for us to, of course, be forgiven and have a relationship with God. But I see the victory was won there in the garden where he made that, had that determination that he was going to go through with it. He was in the garden, he was praying, he was dropping, he was sweating with drops of blood, and he said, I'm going to do it. And Satan was trying to get at him, and, and all this emotion, and all these things were going on, and we, I don't think we can even begin to fathom and understand what he was experiencing. But he took it upon himself, and he cried out, Abba, Abba Father, please help me. And so that's where we get this idea that there was that intimacy, but then also the word carries this idea of, Father, I will obey you. And as he's crying out for Father for help, he's also saying, Father, I will obey. I will do what I came into this world to do, to give my life that others may be saved. We see it in other verses as well, talked about in more application to us. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 8, verses 13 through 17. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body and will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we, we, us, cry out, as Jesus did, Abba, Father, Daddy, special relationship, intimacy, and we want to follow you. We want to obey you, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children. You're a child of God. I hope you understand. I hope you realize that. I hope you really fully grasp the reality of that in the midst of maybe a bad relationship with your physical father or a bad relationship with other people in your lives. You are a child of God. 
And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. Yes, you may suffer as a follower of Christ. You may go through challenges. You may go through hardships. But as you go through them, you can also look forward to that eternal reward and being with him forever. Some of us don't fully get that. We don't fully grasp that. But as we learn and as we study and as we become close to him through prayer and he becomes more and more and more real to us. One of the things in the church I know as part of your overall mission statement is this idea of real, real people, real worship. Is God real to you? Is God real? You know, there are some people believe in God, but... They believe in God like they believe Abraham Lincoln existed or George Washington, someone of the past versus him being real in our lives today and being the father. Now, with the time I have left, which isn't a whole lot, and I tend to go very long, so be patient, I want to draw our attentions to a story you're very familiar with, the prodigal son or also referred to as the parable of the two sons. But here's an interesting thing, and I, I want you to think about it, and you'll hopefully this will, you'll see this as we unfold this story, that really God is the prodigal. Because the word prodigal means lavish giving or lavish spending. Now, in the case with the prodigal son, we see it done in a way that's not really good, but God lavishes his love upon us. He wants the best for us. He's willing to give all for us. Now, in this story, we learn about a, a son who wanted his inheritance and wanted to lavishly spend it all on himself. Let's look at it. Beginning in Luke chapter 15. Now, I want to set the set the stage a little bit. If you go back ahead in the first part of Luke chapter 15, which we won't look at, but I want you to look at it sometime and note that the audience, the people who were there, the people were who, in the, who were in this crowd that Jesus is speaking to at this time were two types of people. The sinners, or at least the people who looked upon as sinners, you know, the downcast, those were trouble, and, and, and the Jewish folks kind of looked down on them. And then there were the Pharisees and Sadducees, the legalistic group, the people that thought, we're doing things good. We're good people. And they would look at those other sinners, they shame on them and look down upon them. Both were in the crowd here. And this parable speaks to both of those groups. Jesus is speaking to them through this parable and sharing a significant lesson and message. Let's look at it. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And that's where we get this idea that he had all this stuff and he took it and just squandered it. Now, let me give you a quick little bit of information in this culture at this time. Real quickly, in this culture, the father's wealth was determined by primarily his possessions, the land, crops, animals, and so on. And it was a very important 
process that when the father died, that the portion of his property, etc., would be divided between the children. In this case, there were two sons. The older son would get a double portion by the Jewish law, and then the others would get the rest. In this case, the older son would get a double portion, and so he'd get two-thirds, and then a third would go to the others, and in this case, the younger son. So he's basically saying, Dad, I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. And by doing that, because in this culture, when you did that, you didn't get it until the father died. But what he's saying in that, demanding that, he's saying, I wish you dead, God. I wish you dead, Father. I wish you not here so that I can have your stuff and do what I want with it. Now, some would say, he, the father has every right in the world to just kind of punch the son and kick him out of the home at that moment. But that's not what he does. Let's read on. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And when he went and joined himself to be a citizen of that country, he set, sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled the stomach with the pods that, were, that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I will perish with hunger. So here you have the gracious father giving his inheritance. Now what that does, it causes the father's life to change significantly because he's already giving a significant portion of his, of his life and his, his whole wealth to his son that wanted it. Many probably were, if this was a real situation, were looking and probably thinking, this, this father's crazy for doing this. So he takes his stuff, the, the younger son, goes to a country, takes it, squanders it, spends it, and then what happens? He ends up in a position where it's all gone, and now he's working with pigs. And you know about pigs and Jew, Jewish folks. It's a, a huge no-no. They were unclean animals. Stay away from them. Don't eat them. And here he is in the lowest of the lowest positions that a person of his culture and his background could be in. And he's saying, wow, man, it'd be better off if I go home, even if I go home, because the servants in the house are doing better than I am right now, because at least, yeah, they're servants. They may be slaves, but they're being cared for and they have food. Man, they're doing better off. And so in verse 18, he says, I will rise and go up to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I want you to take note of that. Hired servant. There's a difference here. A hired servant is usually someone who is from town who is, actually gets compensation to come in and work for someone. So he's not saying I want to be a slave, because a slave would mean he'd stay in the house and still enjoy some of his father's things. He says in saying this, I'm willing to go out, remain outside the family because he's probably thinking, I'm not going to be accepted. And I'll at least work and I'll work for wages and I'll take those wages, hopefully, and pay back as much as I can what I took from you, Dad. That's the thinking here. That's where a lot of scholars think this is what this is referring to. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's willing to say, I, I, I'm not worthy. I'm, I've just, I know I made a mistake. 
Make me like one of your servants. Verse 20. He arose and went to his father. But when he was still a great way off, now this is key, his father saw him and had compassion and the simple word and ran to him. Ran. That was a big no-no in that culture. Most dads in this situation, in this time, and maybe even today, if your son or your daughter ran off and came back and wanted forgiveness, you'd probably be like, okay, tap, 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 boy, I, I bet you this is a good story. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to hear this one. No, he ran to his son. He ran. Children ran. Women may have ran, but not the patriarchal leader of the family. He would have to lift up his skirt, bare his, bare his legs, and run off in, a, in maybe an embarrassing way, running off to meet the son. That's not something that was done. But this father did. And when he got to the son, it says he kissed him. He kissed his neck. He was so thrilled. He was so excited to have his son back in the home. He didn't care about that stuff because he was so in love with his son, even though his son had done wrong in this way. And he kissed him. Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against in your sight, and I am no longer with be your son. He's doing what he said he was going to do. But his father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put on him and put on the ring on his hand and put sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son for for this my son was dead and now he's alive he was lost and now he's found and they began to make merry you see this father did not want to linger on the mistakes he made he was just happy to have him back now let me quickly share this this part of the story is primarily speaking to those who are sinners because remember, this is a part, three different stories he's talking about lost and found. Talks about the lost sheep, lost coin, and now he's talking about the lost son. He's hitting this part of his audience. And he's also hitting some of the Jewish leaders as well and showing that God's grace and mercy is extended to those sinners who clearly do wrong as far as God's concerned. And the attitude that the father has, I am just so glad to have you back. I am just so thrilled to have you back. But then there's a second person. Many times we focus on the prodigal, but then we fail to notice the second one. Now, the older son was in the field, verse 25. And when he came and drew to his house, he heard music and dancing. So we called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. What's going on, basically? Why am I hearing all this celebration? I'm out here working, and you guys are having a party. He's probably wore out and tired, hot, sweaty, wanting to come home and rest, and there's a big celebration. He can't figure it out. Verse 27, he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Now notice, did the brother say, oh, man, that's great. I want to join us. No, 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 no. Verse 28 says, he was angry. He was furious. How dare that guy come back? I've been hanging out here. I've been obedient to my father. I've been doing what what he wants me to do. Now my brother's coming back, and my father's throwing him a big party? 
what is going on? This just doesn't make sense. And many of the Jewish leaders at that time probably would have sympathized with this son. And so he was so angry, verse 28, that he wouldn't go in. And therefore, the father came out to him. Verse 29, and so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me even a goat. You see, when you brought the fatted calf, that was, meat was expensive. That was a big deal to go to that much sacrifice for celebration. And he's saying, you wouldn't even do a goat for me. And now you're giving your son who ran off the fatted calf. What is up? This just doesn't make sense. I never transgressed you. Your commandment any time. Now going to verse 30. But as soon as the, this son of yours, notice he doesn't say my brother, because he's so furious, he didn't want to see him as, a, as a, a relative. He says, this son of yours has come, and he has devoured your livelihood, in other words, and he's done it in a very sinful way with harlots. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was lost, he was dead, and now he's alive. You notice that, how that, there's, there's a connection between lost and, 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 and dead and alive and being found. And so he says, and he was lost and he's found. So there's a celebration for him being there, but the brother couldn't understand. Now, it's interesting that the parable ends right there. We don't see how it goes on further. But what we do see in both of these sons, initially at least, both of the sons were more concerned about the father's stuff than the father himself. One wanted to take his stuff and squander it. He learned a lesson, came back, forgiveness. The other one was still interested in the stuff, even though he stayed there and was faithful, and he kept on saying, look, I've been doing the right thing, I've been taking care of things, and, and so on and so forth. And look at this, you're squandering all this stuff on him. And that's the way it is sometimes, sometimes with us. We are more interested in the stuff God gives us than God himself. We are more interested in him providing us with all those answers to our prayers, which don't misunderstand me, is fine and good, but sometimes we overlook it for God himself. And it's through that relationship and that connection with him that indeed we're blessed. Now again, our time's going quickly. I want to show you a picture. I'll talk about this very, really briefly. This picture that you see, you can't see it real well. It's a picture that's in the Heritage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. It's one of the last paintings of Rembrandt. He painted this painting depicting this story we just shared with you. And there's a lot of people that look at this and say what it is. I won't go into the details of that. But a guy named Harry Nowen, who's a, a great writer, he's passed away, had some really deep thoughts and teaching. He was, he was given an opportunity to, by the curator of this museum, to just sit in front of this painting and just look at it for two days, two different days, a couple hours each day. 
And from that, he wrote some things pertaining to what that painting spoke to him. And it's really neat stuff. But this painting was painted back in about 1662, 69, something like that, the last couple of years of Rembrandt's life. Some say it was because he painted that because he, as he saw death coming, he was relating to that story. And so that's his depiction of that. But then we see in this story how important it is for us to get it that we are to love the Father more than anything else, even anyone else. And we're to be so thrilled with that relationship with him and his forgiveness and his love and his grace and all these things that he provides for us that are much more important than just the stuff he might do for us. But it's about again, our relationship. There's some other verses I'll talk to you about that talk about this idea. Father, I want to share with you them real quickly. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, now, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. Though he is master of all, but is under the guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Similar to what this story we just talked about. There was a time for him to, to get in that position of having the authority and, and having all the, the blessings or, or the stuff that the father had. Even so, verse 3, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when... The fullness of time came. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, what's the words? Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're heirs through Christ Jesus. This is talking about us now. Before our sinful lives, before we were close or had any connection with God, we were like a slave and servants of the world. And many of us still struggle with that. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, as being in Christ and being forgiven and receiving those blessings similar to the, what the first son or the younger son received, God has bestowed upon us and thus we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. And then the other verse that we see this Abba used in verse, Romans chapter 8, verses 13 through 17. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For as many of you as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, I hope you are, then you are a son of God, a daughter of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage, Again, to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs. Similar words, and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. I want to summarize one more story for you as we begin to 
finish this time together. There's a story in this book that I have, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've read it. It's a good, good book. It talks about grace. In it, he shares a story that's a little more contemporary. I'm going to summarize it for you. It's a story about a young lady who lives in Travis City, Michigan. Maybe you're familiar with where that is. I think I've been there once or twice. Smaller town comparatively. Star, story starts out that she's having an argument with her dad. And you know how it is sometimes, dads, when you have arguments with the kids, they get in the bedroom, they shut the door, and they're all mad and angry. Well, she's tired of her parents criticizing the, the nose ring and the short dresses and the, the type of friends she has. And so she says, you know what, I'm going to run away. I'm going to run. And we've maybe heard that before. Maybe we've experienced that before. She said, well, I'm going to run. Well, where should I go? Well, I could go to California or to Florida or someone far away, but my parents probably think that's where I'd go. No, what I'll do is I'll go to Detroit. Not very far away. We went there once, she says, when we were, when I was younger, part of a youth group, we went to see a Tigers game. And I go, to, so she says, I'm going to Detroit and things will be better there. She gets there Things seem to be fine at first. She hooks up with an individual, a man who's referred to as the boss, wines and dines her, all these kinds of things, gives her some pills, make her feel good. She thinks back and she's, man, life's a lot better. A lot better than that boring old Traverse City area. But then things begin to change. She ends up being property, basically. She's used by men who like the younger women. Months goes into years until finally she gets to a point where she's starting to look a little sick, bags under her eyes, and no longer useful. She struggles with poverty. She's actually sleeping on the streets of Detroit in the middle of winter using newspapers as blankets, shivering. And while she's doing this, a thought comes to mind, boy, it would be nice Maybe nice to go back home, to see the dog running in the fields amongst the, amongst the cherry trees in spring, having that warmth and that togetherness. And it causes her to, to make a decision to call her parents. She calls three times, no answer. There's an answer in Basine, but she doesn't leave a message. Until finally, the fourth time she rings and leaves a message, she says, Dad, Mom. I'm going to come up, meet you. And if you, don't, if you don't want to come, I understand, and I'll just go on to Canada on the bus. She takes a bus. And she's riding on the bus. She's thinking about back home. She, it's cold. It's snowy. There are deer crosses the path of the bus. The bus you know, gets off the road just a little bit. Finally, she pulls up to... The bus station in Traverse City, she has no idea what to expect. She's, the bus driver says, the hissing of the bus stops. The bus driver says, you got 15 minutes. This is where people can get off, then come back on to go further or get off for good. She gets off. She says, she's thinking to herself, I only have 15 minutes for my life to change. She gets off the bus, walks into the terminal, concrete, floors, plastic seats. And what she sees is 40 people brothers, family members, grandparents, even a great-grandparent, and a mom, dad, all having party hats on their head, 
big sign that's on the wall that says, Welcome home. She's just totally dumbfounded. Because in her mind, she's rehearsed what she's going to say when she gets in the situation. She's going to say, what, what do I say? She said, well, I'll just say, Dad, I'm sorry. And so she goes up to her dad, who comes out of the crowd to welcome her. And she begins to say, Dad, I'm sorry. And he says, shh, 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 shh. There's no time for that now. There's a party, a feast being prepared for you. Let's go. And the story ends there. You see, this is a story of what was taught in the story we read in the prodigal. And that's the way God is with us. That's the way the father of fathers of fathers does with us. He welcomes us back. He's willing to forgive us. He's willing to take us in. If only we just are willing to receive it. If we get rid of our pride, if we get rid of our focus on this life and this world and thinking this is it versus he is it. And we may have those issues with our fathers or have had those issues. But God is real. He may not be the one with skin on him, but he's real. He loves us. He cares about us. He desires us. And he's willing to lavish his love on us in so many ways. Man, could come on up, if you will. But as they're coming up, let's pray together. Father God, I am so, so thankful for your, you being my father. I thank you, God, for giving me father figures, for helping me along the way in my journey in life. God, I thank you for the love you have for me and for all. God, I pray for more people. We're living in a world, Father, as you know, where people are just totally rejecting you and going off, doing their own thing, finding pleasure, thinking that things beyond or apart from you will satisfy them. So, Father God, please, I pray that you open up our hearts in this room to your love and to your fatherhood, and I pray it in inspires us to, to want more of you. It inspires us fathers to be better fathers, to be good fathers, to be fathers like you. And for your forgiveness, God, when we fall short of that, we give you praise. Mold us, fashion us, transform us. And most of all, God, I pray that you become more real to us. That you are so real that we see you, we want to talk to you, we want to have a relationship with you. We want to experience you, God. We love you, Father. Abba, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.